Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor J.P. Troyo here. So glad that you're joining us today on our podcast. You're about to hear a message today from our weekend encounter. Uh, I pray that this message uh, encourages you, inspires you, and pushes you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to stay on track with what's going on at the church, we'd love for you to download our app, Oasis Church Chicago, or visit us on our website, www.oasischurchchicago.com. I'm praying for you, we're believing for you, and we trust that God's gonna continue to do great things in your life. God bless you. Now here's the message today. Wow, amen. Hope that song uh, has blessed you guys this morning as much as it blessed me. Has it blessed you guys this morning? I was, uh, we, as Alyssa mentioned, we, uh, we sang that. I was here for worship rehearsal this morning. We sang that during team time, um, and I'm so glad we sang it again. I could sing it 10 more times today. Um, but the, the, lyri- the words in that song are so powerful. Um, and it's perfect for what we've been learning um, in this series called The Aftermath. I love the line in that song. It says, let faith rise up. Uh, if you guys have, whether you've been here or not, I'm going to recap a little bit of what we've talked about or what Pastor JP has preached uh, about in the Aftermath series. Essentially, the, uh, what this series covers is the time uh, after Jesus rose again. Uh, and during the time that he spent on earth before he ascended uh, back to heaven. Um, and, and in this, there's just these few chapters at the end of the book of John. And so far, we've covered kind of two stories in this section. Today, we're covering the third. Um, but to recap, the first two stories, as if I'm honest, is if I had to think through what it would be like to be one of the disciples. And as we read this, what we see is that the disciples followed wholeheartedly after Jesus. And there were times when their faith wavered. But there were times when they met Jesus out on the water, like we sang in this song, and Jesus did the unthinkable. Like he literally did the impossible. Things where the disciples were familiar with, right? They were, most of them, a lot of them were fishermen. They were very familiar with being out on the water. They were very familiar with how to steer a ship in a storm. But before Jesus, you know, they assume that, like, the storm always has the advantage, right? Like, if a huge storm comes, they're just going to get crushed. And then Jesus blows that all out of the water and does the supernatural. And this is just one example of many that the, where the disciples saw Jesus move in power and saw him move in ways that had never been done on planet Earth before by any single person. But... Jesus alluded to the fact that he was eventually going to leave the disciples, that he was going to die for the sins, not just of them, but for the whole world. And I think when the disciples finally realized this, and they realized when Jesus was in the grave, their faith kind of went from like a 10 right back down to a 1, maybe a 0, probably. It was like crushed, flattened. And so we have to understand, like when we, when we see the disciples post Jesus' death, and then his resurrection, we find them in this locked room. That's what the aftermath has been about. We find them in a, in a locked room where they're really hiding in fear. And they don't know what's next. They don't know what's to come. I'm sure if they dug really deep, they would think back and start to reflect on what Jesus had done in their presence, all the amazing things, the moves of power that he had done. But in that moment, they were living in fear. And, and what does Jesus do? The first story we read, Jesus literally like walks straight through the door. He just appears in their presence. Because how many of you know that no matter how far you try to run or no matter how much you try to hide, God is there. You can't outrun God. 
You can't escape his seeking and, and searching and longing and love for you in your life. No matter how far gone you think you are, God will never give up on you. And Jesus did not give up on his disciples. And so he meets them there. And he ministers to them. And he says, I'm here. This is me. I'm here. I am among you. I said I would return and here I am. The second story we covered in the, in the second installment of the aftermath was Thomas, the story of Thomas, right? Thomas, who was not there the first time that Jesus appeared to the disciples. And they go and tell him this immediately after. They're like, yo, Thomas, Jesus is alive. We just saw him. Like, we met with him. And we pick up the story there. They're meeting in a room again. Probably, I don't know if it's the same room. It says they're in a room again. Uh, and Thomas is there, like, doubting them. Like, no way, guys, whatever. And Jesus shows up again. It's like the song, Reckless Love, right? He leaves the 99 for the one. Jesus came back for the one. And he comes back for each of us in our lives because he loves us and he relentlessly pursues us. So today, we see a little bit of a transition. Sorry, I'm walking into my computer. We see a little bit of a transition where there's these moments where the disciples are in these rooms. Um, their faith, I presume, is kind of rebuilding a little bit, right? They see Jesus, so maybe their faith goes from a one back up to like a four or a five, but they're like, well, what's next? Jesus is back, but he says he's going to go to be with God his Father. We don't really know. The time is still uncertain. Like we're still in the aftermath. It's still so close to, to the event, the biggest event in, in all time of Jesus dying and, and rising again. But today in this passage where we pick up in John, I'm going to read in just a second, the disciples start to move. Because what faith is, is not simply believing. Faith is responding. The disciples were blessed by Jesus' presence. Jesus showed up to them. He ministered to them. They were, their faith was boosted. They, they knew that he was back. He was here, a friend. And they could have done really one of two things. They could have just continued to remain in the room. Which I think is probably what a lot of us might want to do some days to remain locked up in safety, in security, kind of holding to our own, or they could choose to step out. And that's what they decide to do. And that's the lesson I think that, that I want to I bring to us today. So I'm going to read this passage and pray, and we'll dive into it. This is found in John 21, 1 through 14. Should be on the screens. Perfect. It says, After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. They're returning to the water, right? They're out of the room. They're back out in life doing, in this passage, what they were familiar with, right? I said a lot of them are fishermen. So there's a group of them. And they say, I'm going to go fish. So they went out and got to the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, right? So, like I said, their faith is, is still kind of catching up to where it was, right? Jesus is on the shore, and, and still, like, they're, they're missing a little bit of it, right? They're missing some of it. They're not fully restored to understand where he's at, where they are at, and what his calling is for them. But we'll see what happens. Uh, so Jesus is standing on the shore. Disciples not realize Jesus calls out to them and says, friends, haven't you any fish? Kind of like, you can imagine Jesus asking that question, like, yeah, no, duh. They didn't, like, he knows everything. It's kind of funny. I, I find that funny. Uh, no, they answered. Once again, like, 
duh, can you not see our, our boat is completely empty? It's been a struggle all night. And so he says, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's like another sign, right? Oh, now we know it's Jesus because he just did another miracle. It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Father, your word is true. We thank you for your scriptures, God. We thank you for the, for the life that you lived as Jesus on earth, God, to teach us, to mold us, to carry our faith further than ever before, Lord God. We thank you that you move when we have faith, God. We thank you that you seek after us when we don't because you know where you want us to be. So I pray today, God, that as we study your word and as we receive and as we hear from you, God, that we would respond appropriately. God, today that you would fill this room with faith, that we would respond in faith, God, to live out the life that you've called us to. We love you, Lord. We pray you'd speak to us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so... Most people don't know this about me because I can't really do it in Chicago, but I love fishing. I love studying this story because I love fishing. Do I have anybody else in the room who likes fishing? I figured it would be only a few of us. The rest of you are really missing out. You don't know what you're missing. You should get into it. Um, but I fished a lot when I was young as a kid. Um, and something that's, that's probably not unique to fishing, but unique to more of like I would say skilled hobbies or sports, etc., is that in order to fish, the goal of fishing is what? Catch a fish, right? And it seems pretty straightforward. It's like, it's like completely linear. Like I go fishing, I catch a fish. I put something in the water that fish wants, fish bites it, and I catch a fish. Well, I wish it was that simple. But if, if those of you who have gone fishing before know, it is not that simple. It's actually, it actually can be very difficult. There's many factors that go into uh, fishing. Uh, one could be the weather. Weather is very important to fishing. Two is like your geographic region. So fishing in uh, a pond in central Illinois is vastly different than fishing in the Pacific Ocean, right? Vastly different. Um, there is also uh, local knowledge, right? So depending on the area where you are or like the cove where you pull your boat into or the big lake by the dock where you're going to drop a line, there's local knowledge. Like people who fish in those areas know where the best fish are. They know how to catch them. They know what to use etc, etc, etc. So there's a lot to it. Uh, but I remember when I was a kid, uh, I had a pond in my backyard. So that's probably why I love fishing so much. When I was younger and still learning to fish, I would go out there and I would have like a game plan. And I would say, all right, I'm going to catch the biggest fish. Duh, you're always just going to catch the biggest one. Um, and that never happened. But I would go out and I would, I would take my pole. I would pick out like the lures. I, would, I just went to the store, right? And I would buy like this 
brand new pack of these uh, like rubber worms, and they smell terrible. So they sell you on this, right? It's all in the marketing. They're like, buy these worms. They have this terrible scent. You'll hate it, but I promise the scent is what draws the fish in, right? Very good at marketing, fish bait people. Um, so I would go out, and I'd be like, all right, I just got my fresh worms. They smell terrible. I'm going to get the big one, right? And I would put the worm on the hook. These are fake worms, by the way. The fake worms work better than the real worms, fishing knowledge. Uh, sometimes the real ones work, but you only catch the small fish. Anyways, I would go out with this great plan, right? And I'm like, I know that this is going to work. I'm going out at dusk. It's the best time of day. The big ones are just waiting for me. I'm going to catch them all. And I'd go out. I'd throw my line straight out into the lake. Reel it in for like 20 minutes, 45 minutes, one hour. And so my mom's yelling at me out the back door. It's like 9.30. Come inside. You got to go to bed. You got to school tomorrow, right? And I'd catch nothing. But what I did was I learned over time, right? So the next time I went to the pond, I said, all right, I'm going to go this time and try to be a little bit more observant of like what's going on around me. And I would see other people fishing, right? And I would kind of like slowly make my way over to him, right? Especially if I saw him catch a fish. I'm like, oh, that guy caught one. He must be on to something. So I, like, make my way over there, kind of, like, standing to the side, watching him a little bit, seeing how he's doing, seeing what, hoping that he would, like, go somewhere else so I could go straight to his spot and do it, right? And even when I would try that, right, let's say that guy left, and I'm like, that's where the big one is. I'm going to catch the exact same fish right now. I would throw it in, still, nothing, right? What it took was actually me talking to somebody to teach me. What it took eventually was talking to people who fished before me, who were better at it, and who could actually explain and teach me. See, I could have wasted so much time. And really, like, fishing, I, lo I love this analogy, because if any of us today were just to, let's say, go buy a pole, go buy any bait, just pick, like, you go to the store, there's like a million types of bait, pick anything, go out to Lake Michigan and throw it in, like, probably 95% chance you will not catch anything. It's not super easy, right? But if you just talk to somebody, if you go to like a bait shop that's on Lake Michigan with guys who fish there every single day, in like 10 seconds, they can tell you exactly what you need, and you'll be successful. And I think what's, what's, what's interesting about this, and I, I'm speaking for myself here, but I, I hope I'm speaking for the rest of us, is that in life, and when we, when we study the ways of Jesus, when we study what God has for us, we know the truth, right? We know the truth. It's given to us in Scripture. It's given to us through his word, through spending time with him. And yet so often in life, we continue to just try to do it on our own because we come up with some other idea, right? Or we sit at home and we say, here's my life plan. I've got it all figured out. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to get after it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grind it out. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to do it all. And I got this great plan. And so often I forget to simply just stop and pray and ask the Father what he wants for me instead of what I want for me. See, I love where we're at in this story, right, in the aftermath. The disciples were, were really gathering around in fear, and yet they knew that, like, they still had life ahead. They knew that when Jesus actually did ascend to heaven like he said he would, that they were to remain on earth. That wasn't just, like, the end of the earth. Jesus says, you will be my disciples. You will go to all the nations. They had received this calling, and so they knew it was ahead, and yet they're kind of in this moment where they're really struggling to get started, right? They're sitting in the room out of fear, and they don't want to move. They don't want to step because in their minds, I imagine this. It doesn't say this, but in their minds, I imagine that they're trying to figure it all out. They're trying to put together a plan, and it's just not clicking because they haven't seen the full revelation yet of what Jesus 
wanted to do for them. It's interesting, too, in this passage. This is the third installment of the series. Uh, God moves in the number three. I don't really have time to explain this morning um, a lot of the reason why he chose the number three as, like, the holy number of God, but he does. And it says in this passage that this was the third time that Jesus had met with the disciples. What we read is that the disciples, once Jesus has met with them twice now, decide to step out. They decide to go fishing. They decide to get back out on the water and say, hey, we can't just sit here. We've got to move. Like, if Jesus is who he says he is, he has come back, he has met with us, and he is here now, we can't just continue to sit and wait for him to come through the door the third time. Like, it's kind of, the disciples are starting to get it, right? And we, in our, in our walks with Jesus, it's a, it's, a, it's a revelation. It's a consistent revelation. So today, what I want to talk about, and the, and the title of the message will be on the screen, is All or Nothing. Because honestly, in this context, there's not a lot of time. There's really not a lot of time for all of us in this life. Life is short when you think about the entire span of the universe, the span of God's work and creation over time. And there's only enough time, I believe, this morning for us to be all in or all out. In this moment when the disciples go back out on the water, they're still kind of like somewhere in the middle. And we see what happens. Because what do they do? They go out and they say, we're going to go fishing. We're going to get back to the job we know. I'm going to go out. I'm going to be successful again as a fisherman. Um, And a little historical context here. Basically what happens in this story, what the disciples do is, if you were a fisherman in those times, you would go out in like early to late evening. You would fish all night. And then you would presumably catch a ton of fish to take them to the market first thing in the morning. Because back then they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have ice. They didn't have ways to preserve fish. So literally the only way you could buy fish was fresh caught. And if you're a fisherman and that is your livelihood and it's the only way you can make money, you have to go out. You have like 8 to 12 hours in the night to catch everything you possibly can, and then that's what you can sell for the next day. Because after that, the fish is going to rot. It's not going to be good anymore. They can't refrigerate it, et cetera, right? And so the disciples say, hey, we got to get back to work. we got to get back to our jobs. we got to get back to making a living. How are we going to fund this uh, discipleship ministry that we still can't fully comprehend? Like, if Jesus says go into all the world, how am I going to buy a donkey ticket to get to the whole world? You know, whatever. Um, takes take a little longer to travel back then, right? But the donkey's not so bad. Um, they got to get back out there. And so that's what they do. Um, but what happens? They fail. They, don't, they really don't catch any fish. They catch zero, actually. Um, and it's not to say that they weren't equipped, like hear me on this, it's not to say that they weren't equipped to catch fish or that it was wrong for them to go back out. I don't believe that it was, it was wrong for them to get back out into life, to step out, to, to go to work, to, to be a part of the communities around us, to be a part of the world and doing God's work in his kingdom. But it was the faith that still hadn't been fully restored. See, I believe they were putting their faith in their own abilities still. They were doing what was familiar, not to say that the familiar is wrong, but they were doing it to get, to get peace from that, to get comfort from that, right? Kind of like how they were staying inside their small room in the house because it probably felt safe to them compared to the world around them, which still hated Jesus, uh, who had recently killed Jesus. And so they go back out in the water. They go back out on the boat. But the key truth for us today, when I say all or nothing, is that we can't just be one foot in, one foot out. We can't just continue to live our lives going through our personal checklist 
of how we think we should be and what we should accomplish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can go through all that, and it may give you uh, satisfaction, but it's only going to be temporary. And there's always a better way. Like, you can gain a lot of success just doing things on your own. I believe it. I know people in this room, you guys are immensely talented. You've been given a ton of gifts from God. So have a lot of the people I work with outside of work who are unbelievers. And they're doing amazing things, but it can only get you so far. And the reality is, is that when Jesus comes on the scene, and when Jesus touches the work that you're doing, and when, he, and, and when, he, when you let him move in the work that you're doing, he blesses it. And he returns it tenfold. He does things that no man or woman can do. And that's what we read in this passage. And he does it when we go all or nothing. It's not to say that he's not, he, does, he moves in this moment with the disciples, but the lesson here is that the disciples had to surrender to him. And in the moments where they give him their all, it results in amazement. It results in blessing. It results in God doing the work that he truly desires for us. So the first point in my message this morning is this, get moving. It's pretty simple. <laughs> get moving. Move out from the upper room. Move out from that place of security. Move on from that, from that place of fear or anxiety or uncertainty or unknown or, or thoughts that say, well, I lack in this or I can't do that or I'm not equipped to do that. No, God is telling you to get moving. And here's the reality. Don't wait for the blueprint. He's not just going to send you a, a, a quick guide in the mail that says, here's, your, here's, your, here's how to get started. <laughs> the reality is he's given it to us. He's given us his word. He's given us his promises. He has moved in the lives of people like the disciples in this story so that we see that when I get moving, when I step out of that zone, when I get out back on the water where I might be fearful, I know that God moves there. And I know that Jesus will meet me there. See, there was, a, there was enough of that faith still in the disciples. They knew they just had to get back out there. And they weren't perfect. They probably still had doubts. They didn't catch any fish, right? There was even failure in the moment. But the fact was they got out there. And for us today, we have to get moving. In, uh, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul, who was not one of the original disciples, but who knew the disciples well because he was alive at the same time that they were, and, and Paul started off persecuting Jesus um, and persecuting a lot of the Christians in the early church, but had a, had a radical salvation. Um, when Jesus, once again, okay, here we go. Paul, let me, this is just, I just thought of this, but this is awesome. If you guys don't know about Paul. Paul, when we, when we first read about him in scripture, it says Paul was one of the um, worst like antagonists against the church. He hated the church. He hated the work of Jesus. He wanted to do everything he'd do to crush it. He was, he was literally persecuting and murdering Christians um, uh, against Jesus. So Paul's on the road, like he's on the road to go persecute more Christians on his donkey again or something, horse, right? He was on it. That's how, they, I'm telling you, that's how they traveled back then. Um, he was on his horse and who appears? Jesus. Jesus meets Paul. Like, the disciples weren't just out doing a bunch of evil, and Jesus came and met them, and that's understandable. But Jesus literally meets Paul on the road, who, who probably hated Jesus more than anybody else. He meets him on the road in full glory, knocks Paul off his horse, blinds the guy, and he has this radical transformation. But Jesus meets him there. Jesus was seeking even Paul. And so we pick up in, in 2 Thessalonians, and Paul, knowing the story of the disciples, knowing just the tendencies of, of humans, uh, himself included, 
addresses this topic, um, and it's, it's the topic of idleness, right? So when we talk about get moving, the opposite of get moving is being idle, sitting still. That's what idle means. Um, and in the passage, it says this. Paul is instructing the church. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down earn the food they eat, and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire in doing what is good. We can't just simply sit by and let the church around us do all the work. It's not enough to just show up and listen and receive and say, oh, that's good. And just go right back to what we were doing. We don't know necessarily specifically what was happening in the local church there. There's a few ideas. Um, one is that the, the people who Paul is addressing uh, had this thought that, well, Jesus is coming back. He promised he's coming back. So if that's the case and we're all going to heaven, nah, what, what else do I need to do, right? If I'm honest, I've thought that before. <laughs> it's easy to think that because Jesus' promises are true. When you profess faith in him through salvation, you have a guaranteed place in eternity with him. And so it's easy to just kind of skate by, because you could get away with it. We, could, we all could, to just skate by and wait for him. The other thought of what the, the church in Thessalonians was going through, uh, in Thessalonica was going through, was that they were kind of causing trouble. So they weren't just sitting back or saying that, like, Jesus is coming again, so I don't have to do anything. Instead, they were kind of doing something a little bit worse. They were just like, not participating, but having an opinion. I figured I'd get that reaction. <laughs> um, guilty as well. They were choosing not to participate and yet professing that they had some say in it, right? That they had some say in the church, that they had some say in, in God's work in and around them. If something didn't go their way, I imagine they're complaining about it or causing strife or, or saying, he or she shouldn't be doing that in that position, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You see the point, and you see how dangerous this is and how toxic this is to the church. It is clearly not what God desires for his people. And so Paul is calling us out. He's saying, guys, don't be idle. Jesus Christ has called us to so much more. He has called us to, to receive, to take what he has, he has taught the promises and the truths that he has, he has given us, the love that he pours out through his spirit in you to go to the world, to get out there. This verse, it literally just says to get back to work, like settle down and earn the food they eat. That's a part of it. It's a part of living your life sold out to God, but consistently moving. Because when we get in the places of idleness, when we get in the place of standstill at the red light, that's a really dangerous place to be. Things like complacency are going to start to form. Fears are going to start to form. Anxieties are going to start to form because you transition into a mode of living for yourself instead of living for God. And he wants us to get moving. Second point is this, then. So we start moving, right? We say, God, I'm going after you. I'm getting back out on the water. I know what you did on the water before, and I believe you're going to do it again, so I'm getting out there. But what do we see with the disciples? They still tried to do it in their own power, right? So they got back out. They started moving, but they still tried to do it in their own power. My second point is surrender control. 
you'll get to a point in faith where you get back out there. I pray that 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 we all do that, that we that we that we it becomes habitual and we and we know based on what Jesus has done for us before that we don't stay in those moments of idleness too long. But it's easy to just say to get really amped up and say, "All right, I'm getting back out there." Like after service today, I'm I'm going to I'm going to go out, I'm going to talk to that person that I've been fearful to talk to for so long. Or I'm going to go love my neighbor and and mend the relationship that we have that wasn't working out. But if I try to do it in my control, odds are it's not going to work. And I may find myself in a new scenario or a new position just like where I was before. Another moment of idleness because I failed. And I'm living in that and I'm being held down by that. What we need to do instead is surrender control. In this passage, it says the disciples go out and they go fishing. These guys are like the legit fishermen. Like they're the ones running the, the, the amazing boat fishing trips down in the Gulf of Mexico where you catch the huge fish that you can put on your wall, like fish you're proud of. They're that kind of fishermen. They're really good at doing what they do, and yet even they can't catch any fish. And of course, God, Jesus, is using this to teach them an example. Because when he comes out, and when he says, cast your net on the other side of the boat, literally, if I'm a disciple, I'm like, uh, no, we've tried that over and over and over and over and over for the last 12 hours. Like, how is casting my net on the other side of the boat in the same water beneath me going to do anything, right? But how often, if we're honest, do we do that as people? Like when you, when you choose to do your will or what you want instead of God's will, you're not maybe saying those exact words like, no, God, I'm going to do my own thing. But like I am when I, do, when I say that, when I do that, when I don't do what God has called for me, I am doing that instead of surrendering control. And praise God, the disciples decide to surrender control. And then what happens? They catch like the biggest haul of fish they could possibly fit in their boat. And Jesus responds to them, and he moves in that moment, and he blesses them because of their decision to believe him, to trust him, to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. It's all or nothing. In that moment, the disciples either said, yes, Lord, we're going to do it because we believe in you and we trust you, or respond like I said, nah, it's not going to work. Thanks, but we failed. We're coming in. They could have done that, but they chose to surrender. They chose to surrender control. There's a passage in Mark 10, 28 through 30. Um, once again, the, the New Testament, the gospel specifically, Peter is like, a, he's a major focus. Peter probably is mentioned more than any other disciple. And I love this passage where prior, uh, we read about uh, Peter's response to Jesus in a different context. And it says this, this is in Mark 10, 28 through 30. It says, Peter spoke up talking to Jesus. We've left everything to follow you. He's like, in his like, this is like one of the high faith moments. We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. And then Jesus responds, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So when Peter makes this proclamation, Jesus doesn't just say, thanks, means a lot, buddy. <laughs> no, he doesn't say that. Of course not. Because Jesus is, is, is the Lord of promises. He is a God of blessing, and he loves us. And he, he literally responds only in good ways to our faith. Okay? Let me read that again. I, I realized the first time I read this, I was like, what is this saying? Okay, so Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. We surrender it all. 
Everything means all. I surrender all, like we sing. And Jesus says, I see that. And here's what's next. You've left your home. You've left your brothers or sisters, mothers, father, children, your fields, your jobs. You've left that. Not meaning they literally quit it, although several of the disciples, or maybe most, we don't know necessarily, did do that because this was like a full-time ministry for them. But the point is, giving up those things as a higher priority in life. It's surrendering those things to God. It's giving those things to God. It's not abandoning your talents and abilities. It's giving your talents and abilities to God to be used for his kingdom. And when we do that, Jesus says, you will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. He's not saying necessarily that you'll get 100x in your bank account overnight from some random wire transfer from heaven. But what he is saying is that you will be blessed. That is a promise from scripture. That is an absolute promise from scripture. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That when you respond in faith, when you surrender your life to him, when you surrender your job, your resources, your talents, abilities to him, he will bless you like he did in this passage. And Peter sees it. He remembers this previous promise because God's promises are true. And they are forever and they are eternal. And he sees it and he jumps out of the boat. Like him of all the other disciples, the rest of them stay in the boat. Like, I'm going to stay dry. I'll be ashore in a second. But Peter like straight up jumps in the water because he, he is like, Jesus, you're here. You are Lord. I remember. I know your promises. And you just did it again. And finally, he's like so amped up. And, and we read as Peter goes on in the, in the first church in Acts. We're going to be studying this soon actually. Peter like gives basically one of the most profound and powerful messages of all time that's ever been preached by any minister. And thousands are saved because Peter's faith is now so built up, so restored, so energized because he knows who Jesus is and he knows what Jesus does. And it comes in the moment of surrender. My third point is this, and really I've just been talking about it because I'm so excited. Watch Jesus see it through. Watch Jesus see it through. That is a promise. That when we get up and get moving, that when we surrender our all, we watch. It's not us who has to deliver then. It's not the disciples who caught the fish. It's Jesus who blessed the nets and the boats and the disciples' faithfulness who gave them the fish. And they were blessed. Yo, this is awesome. So like every vacation I go on, if they're selling me breakfast on the beach, you know I'm there. That's what they get. Breakfast on the beach. Amazing. Literally. So Jesus tells them to catch the fish. They catch the fish. Peter jumps in the boat. He's like exhausted, swimming through the water. It's probably cold. Meanwhile, Jesus is just over there like grilling it up. That's what's funny too. They catch the fish on the boat. Jesus is cooking the fish on the beach. Huh. How's that possible? It's Jesus. He like transports the fish through midair over to the beach straight onto the hot grill getting them going. He's making them breakfast. Like, I know it's kind of funny, but Jesus loves his people. He desires to provide for us. He desires to give us good things. It says when we ask the Father for good things, he gives us good things. It's that simple. Watch Jesus see it through. The disciples saw it before their eyes. They got back out on the water. They surrendered to him when he shows up and he says, do it this way. Trust me, just do it this way. And he delivers. Like he told Simon Peter before, he delivers. But what's the alternative, right? The reason I call this message all or nothing, the alternative is nothing. When we could have everything 
I've been talking about here, when we could have everything in Scripture that Jesus promises us through his word, that God gives to us as a loving father, why would we ever just settle for nothing? It's all or nothing. So today, I don't know where you are in life. I know I go through seasons. Some weeks are hard. Some weeks are great. Some months are long and hard. Some years, many years. But through it all, we can choose who is our Lord and our Savior. We choose who we serve every morning we get out of bed. And we must choose every day to be all in or all out. Lukewarm is not a good thing in, this, in the Bible. God says if you want to be lukewarm, that's actually the worst thing you can be. You might as well just be all out and do life your own way and just live it up to the max or you should be all in and completely surrender to me. Give me everything. Because if we don't give him everything, what happens? It's like the little thorn in the side, right? It's that thing that keeps irking us. It's the thing that keeps staying in our mind. It's that sin, that secret sin or that hidden sin or that, that sin you don't want to confront because it makes you feel comfortable. Even if you hold on to those little things, I'm telling you guys, that will hold you back from experiencing God's fullness in your life. It will. He's asking you to surrender all this morning. So if you guys want to stand with me, I just want us to respond this morning. And the response really is simple. The fact is, there's not enough time left for us to just dabble. For us to stay somewhere in the middle because on this day, I want to be good in my Christian life and I want to, I want to know what God has for me. And I, want to, I want to go to the retreat and I want to get pumped up. And then on this day, you know, my friends from college, woo, they're having a good time over here, right? It's just Saturday night. I could skip church tomorrow morning and stay out late and do everything I, I used to do. But we can't just keep doing the back and forth. Because if you try that, if on Monday you're here and on Saturday you're there, and then on Monday you're back, your life will continue to struggle. You will continue to find it harder and harder to be satisfied. You'll get the temporary satisfaction. It'll feel good in the moment, but the next day you're going to be miserable. Where you're not going to be miserable, I promise you this, where you're not going to be miserable is in complete surrender to Jesus Christ and what he has for your life. So today I want us to make a decision. And I want you only to raise your hand if you truly believe in this and you want to make this decision of faith today. But I simply want us to say, God, I am all in for you. I am all in. No matter where you call me, no matter where I walk, every step I take, Lord, I take for you. I'm tired of living my old life. I'm tired of going back to the ways of the world. I'm tired of going back to what's comfortable or where I have fear or where there's anxiety or where there's things I can't let go of. God, today I choose to go all in for you. If that's you today, just raise your hand. That's me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you that your promises are true, that they never fail us, God. That even in our moments of weakness, Lord, when we try to run, Lord Jesus, you show up in those moments. You chase after us because you love us. You leave the 99 to return to the one, Lord God. And we thank you for that. We thank you that when we respond, God, when we respond in faith, you bless us, Lord. That your promises do not fall void, Lord God. That you want to pour out your love and your mercy new every single day as we seek you, God. 
that you're full of grace, Lord, to heal us, to love us, that even when we fail, Lord God, you never fail us. So today, God, we profess our faith in you. We profess our love in you, Lord God. We seek you. We are all in today. Lord God, we love you in Jesus' name.